Hey, really quick, before we get into the podcast, we aim to bring you the most practical, impartial advice in cybersecurity. So if you like what we do and you want to help us out, please follow us on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now. Okay, let's get into the episode. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. This podcast is my attempt to document lessons from cybersecurity experts who can go deeper than most on critical topics. My hope is that you use these insights to fortify your business and grow your career, and maybe one day partner with SIFT to select your next cybersecurity vendor. I hope you share and enjoy. Dimitri, thank you for being the inaugural guest on the No BS Cybersecurity Podcast. For the audience members who don't know who you are yet, give yourself a little introduction. Who are you? What do you do? And how did you get here? Thanks, James. And thanks for the invitation. It's pretty cool to be the first person on a podcast, hopefully to many, many more. I am a CISO by trade, an advisor by heart, I guess, educator. I don't think I'm an influencer on social media yet. I haven't gotten to that level, but I'm a cybersecurity professional, 25 some years of experience, CISO, CSO, at last two positions I've had prior to that, 11 years at CyberArk Software, incident response, implementation services out there in the field, some of the largest breaches in US and world history. Prior to that, another 10 or so years in IT. I mentored and instructed for SANS, a number of classes, and I advise I think officially six or seven different startups and a whole number of that just come across unofficially that I give my opinion and information all the time. That's wonderful. And something that I've noticed about you, Dimitri, and I'd love to understand where maybe some of this comes from. It seems like as a busy cybersecurity professional and leader in the space, you're always willing to give your time to someone that's genuinely curious. Where does that come from? Good question. I recognize the importance of curiosity, possibly because I grew up in a society where it wasn't welcomed. Born in USSR, grew up in USSR. Lack of curiosity, lack of freedom to be curious is a heavy weight to carry. And so wherever I see someone who is curious, honestly, I try to enjoy it myself. It's, it's kind of like on the other side, right? I get to enjoy some of it coming my way, seeing others express it. And if I can help in any way and fill some of the curiosity with good information, I do it. That's one big part of it. I think selfishly, majority of places where I do this is in cybersecurity or maybe another important topic or two. But in those places, I feel like meeting someone's curiosity allows them to be creative in these areas. And being creative is the sole driver of any progress. So in a nutshell, I am trying to help others be creative and continue to revolutionize whatever space we're talking about, thereby helping me because I'm usually in some way a user of that space. So the yin-yang loop of I enjoy doing it, helping you while you enjoy helping me, that's what I'm trying to reinforce. That's wonderful. And when we were chatting, you brought up something that I thought was really interesting and it was how to think. And you have such a rich background in cybersecurity from technical roles to leadership as a CISO. And I'm curious, why this topic? Can you tell us what drew you to this under-discussed topic of how to think and why thinking about how to think is so critically important in cybersecurity? I think about this all the time. I use this phrase with you already once. I'll say it for the listeners. Our subconsciousness is very busy at keeping our consciousness unconscious. What's inside of us is trying to keep the thinking part of us disengaged. It's a design mechanism pushed primarily by the way we were raised. Some of us, you, one of those people who were able to, and it could be because of your parents, could be because of your upbringing, there is usually a reason that allowed you to retain that curiosity allowed you to retain a portion of your consciousness in a driving role. You are in command. You are driving your own ship. You're writing your own movie. 
majority of us, me included, for the longest time, since probably the age of like three or four, start getting pigeoned in into a set of boundaries provided by first the society. I mean, before you were born, your parents, when they find out that they have you, they go to a doctor. You get a paper trail before you're born. A paper trail is a way to, to document and so on, but it is also a way to establish boundaries from outside. Now, some of them may be good, right? Where that's how we talk in evolution, revolution, right? We're talking about vitamins and so on. Like those are the things that we can consider there's, there's positive impact. But some of these things are iffy and some of these things are continuously pushed just because that's how it always was. And those things create a boundary around people that channels them in a direction where society wants them. For some people, that's okay. For many people, it's okay-ish. And they start growing up not really fulfilling their personal potential and their personal set of capabilities because the society is pushing them into something else. And the more we do this, the more our subconsciousness is making us conform to that. Because otherwise, we get hit over the head, proverbially, right? In a number of ways, from parents to teachers to society and you name it. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. This is the way it's supposed to be done. Okay. And over and over and over again, you make decisions to conform rather than to retain your own inner driver, you follow your own internal wishes. And for many kids, there's a point where they make the final decision or the very first decision of conforming for the sake of conformity. And from that point on, the North Star for them changes from what they wanted to what society wants. And when that happens, now subconsciousness is fully engaged because it's trying to protect you. It's doing a good thing for you. Otherwise, you're going to get hit over the head over and over again in life. It's trying to protect you from this damage. And it's doing that by replacing what you want with what they want, they meaning the society. Now, what this does is it then starts disabling your thinking processes. And now you are a sub-process in a big routine versus your own thing. And when that happens, your thinking starts adjusting to that. You become managed by what's around you versus you managing your life and how you flow through. Your question is, how does this Related, like, why do I think about thinking? The only way to break out is to raise those decisions to a conscious level. Know why you're making them. So we have to start thinking about thinking. When we start thinking about thinking, we start catching ourselves making decisions we actually don't want to make. But if you don't take the time to think about thinking, if you don't take the time to pause and ask yourselves the question, why? That's my favorite question. Why? You know, the five whys. I mean, a number of ways. That why did you just think this? Why did you just decide that? What is the driving you? Your subconsciousness is often giving you really good information and you follow it. But if you don't know why at a conscious level, you're not in control. And if you're not in control, then what are we doing? You know, who am I? Why am I here? And what am I doing? What the heck is this whole thing about? The existential questions, they're the same questions of why am I doing this thing in cybersecurity? So I came to this from multiple sides. For my engineers, for the people on my team, I don't ever want them to do what I tell them to do. I want them to convince me that what they want to do is the right thing to do. And we'll have a debate. We'll have a negotiation. Maybe they'll give me some information they didn't have. Maybe I'll give them some information they didn't have. And then they will again, hopefully, make a better decision if the previous one wasn't as good. And it wasn't as good because they didn't have all of the information. Humans, by design, will always have the best decision based on the available information. The problem is we don't always have all of the information. And even when we do, we don't process it from the right perspective from our perspective. We process it from someone else's perspective, some society perspective. And if we don't understand it, and most of us don't deep enough, then we're not going to be able to follow it well enough. And so when I was working with my team, when I work with my teams and I try them to get them to be intentional 
to try to, to get them to decide what they want to do in the grand scheme of big goals that we all have and agree on, the best way to get them to be successful at that is first to trigger that. Why? Why did I? Why did this happen to me? When was the point in time that this avalanche of bad things started rolling downhill? And so on and so on. So it's important for me personally. It's important for me as a father. It's important for me as a husband. It's important for me as a friend. It's important to me as a professional. It's important for me as a leader, as an educator, as an influencer, as an evangelist, as a storyteller, as a CISO, you name it. If you don't think about your own thinking, you might be doing someone else's bidding. Wow. So when the IT manager from a rural hospital in Iowa hears this podcast and they say, Dimitri, I heard you talk about thinking, about my thinking, about my thinking, and I felt lost. I don't know where to start. Do you have some actionable way for me to start this journey and this process of actually getting to the why of the decisions I'm making on behalf of my business? Yes. Ironically, it's exactly what I tell my development teams when they tell me, what do we do for secure development lifecycle? What is this one thing we got to do? What do we do? And I say, the one thing I want from you, I just want one thing. I want your time. Simple enough. We'll figure out because when I have your time, I can ask you some why questions. I rarely tell people, don't do this. My first question is, why are you doing this? Part of it is because I'd like to know maybe I'm missing something. There's usually something I'm missing, right? But it is also immediately impactful for them. Because if I ask them the why question in the right place, that might take a little experience. Well, I'll come back to this. They will pause themselves because they may not know why. And I usually try and find that spot where I know they don't know why. They're following what someone told them level one, two, three, but they don't know really the bottom layer why. An IT manager from rural Iowa start this. The easiest thing, at least for me, and, and again, let me say this, maybe in a year we do another one of these and I'll tell you more, but for now, as I'm educating myself, and this is never going to end, so, but for now, the easiest way I've found is to watch yourself as a movie. Watch your life as a movie. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it requires time. It requires time when nothing else is happening in your life. That's the difficult part, right? Like, when do I not have things happening in my life? Well, you're driving home. You have half an hour in the car. People listen to podcasts. People listen to radio. Okay. Maybe some other time. But if you would say half an hour, you know what? Start with 15 minutes. Start with five minutes. Because I guarantee you, if you start with 10, within the first three or four, your mind will slip off of what you're trying to make it do and switch to shopping lists. And I got to clean the gutters. But as soon as that happens, as soon as you catch yourself slipping, just go back to it. It's not a bad thing that you slipped. That's expected. That's your subconsciousness still running some processes. What we're trying to establish is another routine, a small subroutine that runs on its own. We're trying to establish a self-improvement routine. The very first thing this self-improvement routine needs to do is realize itself. It needs to understand that it exists. It needs to become conscious. We're trying to wake your consciousness up. We're trying to bring your consciousness from being unconscious. <laughs> and the way to do that is first dedication of time. You put it on your calendar. You have your watch beep at you. Whatever it is, whatever it takes to have a repetitive, start with 15 minutes. In that 15 minutes, think back to the day. Or if it's you doing it in the morning, think back to yesterday. Just relive it. What were the things that occurred? It's almost like writing a diary. In fact, writing a diary, a journal, would be the next step, but it's not easy. I mean, I've tried it several times and I can't get it to go. So I'm still not there because just so much going on in your head and everything else. And you're trying to restart that self-processing routine. So what happened today? Maybe pick a decision or two you've made and try to dig in yourself to figure out why you made the decision, trying to bring it to a point where you wanted to, not because someone told you, right? Like if you say, I wanted to do this because they said, okay, does this match what you wanted? Really? And pause there, just dig into that. Like just let your mind wander around that topic over and over. If you do this for a week, 
five, seven days in a row, you will enjoy, start enjoying that process. Because when you do this work, you start creating neural pathways in your brain. When you consciously process things and reach new conclusions, new realizations, first thing, dopamine, I think it's dopamine, hormone in your brain gets released that makes you feel good. It gets released when you learn new things. And you learn new things here by consciously approaching some subject. In this case, yourself. You could do this by, you know, you can pick up encyclopedia and just reading that thing down and just remembering. But that just gives you someone else's information or realization. That's not really learning. That's remembering. What we want is understanding, which is real learning. And that can only come when you do this conscious processing of information to some new conclusion. That conclusion will be what you remember, realize, understand. That creates new neural pathways. That fights dementia, by the way. So you can count this as health benefits because those neural pathways that get created, they are multi-use. They get created because you did this thing just now, but later it can be used to still have your hand not shake when you pour water. They tell you play chess, do those things, you know, read a book because that's what does it. It creates neural pathways in your brain and they can then be used for other things. If you have trauma, severe trauma, like mental trauma, it can be helpful there as well. Creation of neural pathways allows the brain to rewire around damaged areas. So it's helpful there as well. But at a minimum, the fact that you're going to come back to yourself, make yourself point of your own attention for 15 minutes. Now you're watching your own movie. After two or three weeks of this, maybe a month, two months, let's say, watching of the movie will start happening during the day. You will catch yourself doing whatever you're doing or being in a meeting. You're doing doesn't really matter what. And you will notice that there's two of you, the person that's doing and the person that's watching. That's going to be the moment where that subprocess that we're trying to reestablish realized itself. Now it's got its own identity. It's got its own authorizations. It's going to start doing its own work. Actually, I think there was a point where there was a TV show and a computer game tied together. You were people were playing in a computer game and the show from episode to episode would change based on how people in the computer game were able to achieve one result versus another. In this case, it'll be like you have a direct radio to the director of the movie. Dude, dude, I don't know if you should be doing that. And this will start happening closer and closer to reality to the moment that you're in. The real time, yeah. The real time. And that is going to allow you to make better decisions simply because, you know what it is like? It's building your own AI. This is like training your own LLM, large language model. You already have all the data in your own head. You are the data. And all you're doing is creating an AI right over it that you can reach out to and have it do things for you in a sense. And allow you to remove yourself from that autopilot that to your point, you're set on from the moment you're born. You're on this path and you're on autopilot, but that moment where you stop and you watch the thinker, that allows you to put yourself in control and identify repetitive thought patterns and things that are limiting beliefs and thoughts and judgments and criticisms and get yourself in control. Influencing. Influencing. It may not be limiting you per se. They may be helpful, but be aware of that. Know that they are helpful. Know that that's what's happening. So the two parts here, right? Establishing a process that doesn't exist. You're making it be self-aware, but what else is happening at the same moment? You are your own worst critic. Every one of us, we are all our own worst critics. No one will beat me up for a bad decision more than I will. Now, maybe it's not like that for everyone, but for a lot of people, that's going to be the thing, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, all those things. That's what that is. It is you, your subconsciousness, for whom the North Star isn't you. That's what that is. So it's scary. Because you are opening up to the worst enforcement officer you, you know, you. And you might find now that some of the things you've decided in your life were not good decisions. That's really scary. Am I in the right profession? 
Did I marry the right person? Am I living in the right country? That's scary. But if you can get that self-awareness process working, you will feel better when you come closer to what you really want. You may be making compromises at that point. Look, I know this isn't the right person for me, but we got kids. But now you know, and these things will be feelings personified. You will start giving names to your feelings. This will make the feelings go away from the feeling place and you will feel better. You will know maybe more and scarier things per se, but you will feel better and you'll be able to live through those things or those compromises easier. It's a choice now. Yeah, it's a choice now. It's not going to nag you nearly as much. If you are held underwater or if you decide to go underwater, the people that decide to go underwater can hold their breath for like 30, 40% longer than people that don't have control. Mind-boggling, right? But at the same time, that's what it's about. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And at least in, in my humble opinion, one of the largest threats to really being present, which is, is kind of what you're touching on, is being present and consciously making decisions. One of the biggest threats is the consumption of information. We have TikTok and LinkedIn and Netflix and all of these different things. And when you're consuming information, it's very difficult for you to process your own thoughts and really get to the root of why you're doing what you're doing. And in a world that's overwhelmed by information, I want to talk about focus for a moment. I recently watched your recommendation, which is the wonderful story of Henry Sugar on Netflix. It's a film that tackles the idea of harnessing mental focus and visualizing a single thing. And anyone in cybersecurity, they know how busy and noisy this environment is. But the wonderful story of Henry Sugar offers a captivating look at the power of mental focus and clarity. So Dimitri, how do you maintain or teach your team to maintain focus in a field that's traditionally characterized by information overload? Mental focus and clarity come from that sub-process that I just described. And you can create this sub-process in many different ways. If you've ever been to a yoga class and they tell you, be present in the moment, feel your body, and you're standing there in a pose and your legs are shaking and you're hating everything at that moment, the goal of a yoga exercise like this or any physical exercise that is, is getting you to the edge, or let's say cold plunging, right? Like people that, that go into the cold water, is to create physical conditions under which your mind is forced to separate itself from your body. It's a conscious effort. I'm going to stand in the stance. You know, they say your body can do 30, 40% more than your brain thinks, right? When your brain says, I have to quit, your body can still go on for a while. That's true. That's what's happening. So if you do yoga over and, you know, do it for several years, there will be a point where you will be able to suffer physically, standing in the stance or whatever, and then say to your body, that's okay. Just stay there and suffer. I got you. I know. I know you're suffering. That's already two people. There is you, the suffering one, that's screaming, oh my, it's just so painful. And then your mind is like, that's cool, dude. That's guy. We got another 20 minutes. All right. You know, what's next? We're going to go go shopping later. Ability to split that sub-process that we're talking about now gives you ability to use that sub-process to put the focus anywhere you want for almost as long as you want, but definitely much longer than you were able to do before. Why does this happen? What we're trying to do is we're trying to create, like something happens to you. We get an alert. The stimulus comes in. As soon as there's a stimulus or I poke you with a needle or you know poke you with a finger, you're going to jump. You're going to have a reaction. There's always a reaction to a stimulus. Stimulus runs through some neural system and then there's a reaction. Wouldn't it be nice if we could stop and spread these two things apart and put someone in the middle that says, let me check this stimulus. All right, that's the appropriate reaction. So right now that's your subconsciousness doing it. And it's like this, you don't have any control over that. The goal is to gain control over that roadblock. Like you wanna establish a roadblock for any stimulus coming in 
So you are in control and you decide which reaction you have. Yeah, it gives you a gap to decide how to respond instead of just having a reaction. And maybe what you were going to react is the right reaction. Maybe your body is now well-trained. But back to that, know the why. Why are you reacting this way? Not because you're triggered, but because you decided. You are the director of your own movie. Hey, it's James here. Really quick, well done for making it to the midpoint of the episode. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, remember to give us a follow. And if you're really enjoying it, please drop us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Now let's get back to the episode. I was going to ask, so we're talking about creating a gap between stimulus and response. If there is no gap, it's just purely a reaction. And when we're looking at cybersecurity postures, the name for that is incident response. But for a lot of people, it, it truly is incident reaction. We didn't think about this. And now we're just reacting to this stimulus. We have an alert. We have a breach. We have things going on. And there's no moment to pause. Is there a way to build in a policy? Yeah. Is there a way to build in a moment to pause and decide how you're going to respond versus just immediately jumping into a reaction? Yes. So tactical response must be very quick, but it has to be driven by operational preparation and strategic planning. Strategic planning shifts into operational preparedness and then into tactical response. That's the sort of for magnitude components. If your incident response is not backed up by operational preparedness, which isn't backed up by strategic planning, you're answering the wrong why. You haven't gotten to the real why at the top. We always say business is, is the primary target, right, for us. Like, who are we protecting? We're protecting our businesses. Are we really? Are we just a mechanism? Oh, are we just a dumb switch? When someone waves in front of us, we go off. Now, the people in the SOC and so on, they may not have enough time just because of the impact they could be having. But at a minimum, they themselves should be aware that they are in a position where they have to immediately do what they are told to do because they understand that someone went through operational preparedness, which is a verification of strategic planning, which is a result of deliberate work with the basic why, the business. So a good IR plan that is now prepared into execution and tested operationally and now tactically viable is driven by the primary why from the business. So they would know, not react just because they're a switch, but the engineers in the SOC know that what they're doing is driven directly by the business need. They can feel comfortable reacting. Now, for them to feel this way, they have to actually see, like, you know, they can trust their managers, and many do, but the ones that will promote themselves will want to know why. And if you're a leader at any level, what you want is for people to know the why above you at least one level, more than one level, preferably the best case all the way to the top, to company strategic goals for the year. Not, I got to stop the, this ransomware, but I got to stop this ransomware so that this business unit continues to function in top efficiency, delivering results and providing output for the strategic goals for the company. And if they don't have ability to think about thinking, they're not going to be able to understand it. So now I have a bunch of switches that just do this. And I know that many teams do this. I just personally don't think that that isn't good for the people themselves. It doesn't make them better. It's not nearly as good for the company because now we are wasting efforts in many places because people don't understand the why. So we're cost inefficient. And now we can't have nearly as good of ROI for the security team, if at all being positive. And so these things are all related and always come back to that same thing. So for the millions of SMBs that rely on third parties to close their threat detection and response gaps, how do they align those third parties with their business goals? They may know the why, 
but maybe the reaction and the response happens from an MSP, an MSSP, or a tool. What do those folks do? How do they align that with their business objectives and their why? I would say it probably is going to happen during the sales cycle, the pre-sales and sales cycle and the initial onboarding. So if you're trying to set this up and you're trying to work with an MSP and MSSP, if they're just looking at you as a number, then that's how it's going to be treated. They may not have to dig so deeply into the spicy sauce you make, but they have to see that the chain of value that exists in your company. It may not be a long chain, not like an enterprise chain, but there is still a chain. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had a need for an MSP or MSSP. There is some value they're bringing you. I mean, it's not that crazy of an idea to put that value chain explicitly in your contracts or your SOWs. What would that look like? What does this company do about, right? Like you could say have a, num- a section about. Now you're saying, what would that look like? Let's put the MSP aside. Whoever is buying, whoever is paying for the MSP, IT manager or a security manager, whoever there is, do they know the value chain of their company? And if they don't, how can they protect it? And how would they know it? They could be asking about it if they're self-aware enough. And if they're not self-aware enough, maybe they can be led to be self-aware or at least at a minimum be told these things by someone at a higher level. Preferably, again, make them be self-aware because self-aware people will want to be better themselves, will want to do better for themselves and for you, will want to improve everything around them. It's weird, but when you turn people on like this, you can't stop them. So instead of making them work, make them want, like see the value here. Now, again, it's not as easy as just saying it, but the starting point is always the self-aware component. If you get them to understand that they need to question, they need to understand the why of anything that they're doing, or at least ask themselves a question. They may not be able to understand it right away. It's going to take some time. That sub-process we're trying to create, it ain't easy. Your subconscious is going to do some real hard work. And now we're talking about potatoes and like, I got to go shopping today. Your brain will keep doing that to you. Like if you're, speaking of that movie, concentrating on any single item, any one item, just take a pen and you look at it. Can you just look and think about this pen for five minutes, most people will not be able to go for like 30 seconds. Can you think about nothing but the pen for 30 seconds? If you can do 30 seconds, do it for a minute. If you do a minute, do it for two minutes. But don't lie to yourself. The second you have another thought, any thought, you got to restart your timer. And you know what's so surprising about that is, and I've done that. I have a candle here. And sometimes I'll look in that after watching the Henry Sugar movie. How long can you go? Five seconds, 10 seconds, (laughs) but it's something I want to work on. And the reason being is I've realized that it's always past or future. It's always analyzing the past and thinking about something that previously happened or thinking about the future. If you are present in the moment and you're actually present, there's nothing else to do but focus on the flame or focus on the pen. And we live so much of our lives either in the past, analyzing it, regret, guilt, all of those sorts of emotions that come up from analyzing the past, or we're looking at the future, anxiety, stress. We're trying to use data points from the past to then predict the future, and we're missing the moment, which is right now. And I feel like that is so pervasive, and it's so difficult to your point. To trigger it, yeah, to catch it. Yeah, but the self-awareness to say, I want to become more present and to become the watcher of the thinker, to recognize those thought patterns, right? That's where you come in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so fascinating. We got to get it out to the people. Yeah. When you're a CISO and you understand how important self-awareness is, is that something that you look for when you're hiring or is it something that you feel like I can bring someone in and likely I can just teach them about this? I absolutely look for it when I'm hiring. I used to say the best cybersecurity people are lawyers, musicians, English majors, not technical folk, because those people, they're not better, but they have been exposed to additional subroutines. They can 
be more self-aware. When I used to hire for CyberArk, I probably hired over 100 people there over my time there. I had a technical interview as part of my hiring process. And in a technical interview, I would give them a task that I knew they didn't know how to do. And I gave them access to Google and said, you can search. And I would hire people that flunked the interview, couldn't accomplish the task. And I would not hire the people that could because I continued watching them through the interview process. I was sitting there, it's like a two-hour thing, and I'm just sitting there watching them do it. Those that had the understanding that they've gone too far on a Google thread and they need to pull back out and go for the next one. And honestly, I don't even think they were doing it consciously, but the ability to stop yourself from going too far down the rabbit hole, the ability to not be in the tunnel, not have the tunnel vision, that's an indicator that you have the capability of establishing such a process in your head. So I would always look for that. It's not just cybersecurity. Any job this would be good at. What do you call that? Self-awareness. I mean, that's what it is. That's what it's about. But that's just the starting point. You know, if someone has the ability, ironically, they're unconscious. And until they're awoken, it's not going to happen, right? I can see that they can do it, but they're not doing it in all things yet. They're not, definitely not doing it consciously. So how do we trigger them to start doing this consciously? David Marquette, he's a retired U.S. Navy captain. He was a captain of a multiple Navy nuclear submarines. Uh, he has a bunch of TED Talks. You can find them on YouTube and LinkedIn. Amazing speaker. He talks about intent-based leadership and how he was able to transition his whole submarine from do this from the captain down, which is very difficult. He's a single person. There's 100 and some 30 people in the submarine. He can't be everywhere. What he needed was everyone thinking like him at every point in the submarine. And so his approach was, and he's showing a leadership ladder. There's a whole stretch. I think I showed it to you in the past as well. The very bottom of the leadership ladder is a sailor. It says, tell me what to do. And the captain would tell, do this. That's level one. That isn't intent-based. That's discipline-based. Do this or else. I'm telling you to do this. Don't think and do. The next step for him was, okay, how about I don't tell you what to do? How about you tell me what you think we should do? How do you do that, right? Level two is, instead of telling you what to do, I'm going to ask you what you see. Now you're going to have to engage and be present to see, to process what you're seeing, channel one. When I can get from you what you see sufficiently, and I know that you're getting, like you're actually seeing correctly, and that's not easy, by the way. The next thing I'm going to ask you is, what do you think about it? Well, nothing. Just don't know what to do. No, no. What do you think? And now you start, well, what do I think about this? This gauge here. Well, I don't think it should be here. I think it should be over on this level. Okay. Well, where would you like it to be? Well, I think it should be at this level. Okay. What do you intend to do to get it to that level? Well, I think I see this. I think this. I would like it to be here. So I'm going to do this. I intend to do this to get it here. Great. Do it. That's not an order. That's a confirmation of what you decided to do. And I don't really love the movie, but there's one scene. It's the Hunter Killer, one of the recent movies with Gerard Butler and Gary Oldman. There's a scene there and uh, the XO, the executive officer, to the says to the captain, I intend to submerge the ship. Captain doesn't say submerge the ship. This XO says, I intend to submerge the ship. And the captain says, I submerge the ship. Submerge the ship, I submerge. And then they go through the process. That's what we're trying to get people who can be self-aware to become self-reliant through the process of making them more self-aware. I can see, I can think, I can start allowing myself to make decisions, and this is what I'm going to do, okay? The okay part here is still necessary for some things because of safety and because of efficiency. I may know something you don't, and what it usually means is that you missed something when you saw or you didn't think about something when you thought. And instead of telling you what you missed, I'm going to ask you, did you close all the hatches? Or how many hatches do we have? And then the pyramid starts dropping. Boom, boom, boom. How many hatches do I have? Did I see the hatches? I saw the hatches. Did I see all the hatches? I didn't see all the hatches. This one hatch, I didn't see. Now, it may be closed, but that's on me. Because if it's not closed, we're all going down. 
if we're trying to submerge a ship with the, with the, with the, when the hatch is open, right? Yeah. So that's where leadership comes in. It's not about don't do this. It's about can you be me when you do this? Can you think like me? It sounds perfect in theory, and humans are inherently flawed. And while that is exactly the ideal that you want to go for as a leader, there are so many leaders who are dictators, and they want to make every single decision. They want to tell people what to do, give them zero autonomy to think. What do you say to the security practitioner who works for a CISO, who is that domineering figure who wants to make every decision and they don't have any autonomy and maybe they do want to think, but they're not in an environment where they can. What do you say to that security officer or security analyst who is kind of in a tough situation with a leader who won't let them have the freedom to think? First, that's not an easy place to be. And I've been to places like that and that is not easy for sure. First, I would say you can still do you, even within the constraints of almost complete dictatorship, let's call it like that. You can still do you at a minimum by being fully self-aware within your area of expertise or responsibility, why you're making decisions, why you're making and so on. So again, step one is always going to be become self-aware, continue to work on self-awareness. When you become self-aware or when you become more self-aware than you were before, some of the things you're being told to do will start making more sense, first of all. So you actually will recognize that some of these things are important to do exactly that way. That's the moment for at least a couple of those things. There'll be at least one or two. It's going to be very rare where you're going to be like, do all the things the wrong way. Find one or two that you know are correct. You became self-aware and you said that actually these things, is the, that's the right way. They're telling you to do it the right way. Acknowledge it. Praise it up. Hey, you're telling me to do this? That's awesome. That's exactly what we should be doing. This is amazing. I saw this. I thought this. I would have liked it to be this way. And I intended it to be this way. And you already told me to do it this way. That was great. The person above you, for the first time in their life, is going to have someone below them who thinks like them. Most of the time, they're not bad people. Most of the time, they're trying to do the right thing. They just can't trust others. Because over the years, the only people they've had working for them were unaware, people that were not self-aware. The moment I see that you are becoming self-aware and recognizing why some of these things are done, you are now, at least mentally in my head, are at a higher level than the rest. And now you can start expanding that. And if you find a place where you slightly disagree, schedule time with that person. It could be two or three levels above you. Clear it with your management first, maybe, just to let them know this is what you want to do. You want to talk to them, learn why they're thinking. And then come and ask questions. Don't say, don't explain, just ask questions. Understand the why. Wherever you disagree, it's because you don't have all the information if you're below, or you're not understanding, not seeing something. That's one option. The other option, they're wrong, meaning they are not fully self-aware. But you've just proven that you are self-aware to them because you found things they do well and you told them about it. So when you come and ask questions, why is it this way? Why is it this way? The first time. After that first time, they'll start thinking about it themselves. Why am I doing it this way? Don't tell them. Just ask them. I'd like to understand more about this process. I'd like to understand more for the reasons here, just so it makes it easier for me to do. A week or two goes by. A month goes by. Schedule another time. And when you come back that second time, I'm willing to bet that when you get there for that same topic, it'll be a very different conversation. It'll be almost a conversation of equals about a topic. Yes, they still have a lot more responsibility than you. Yes, they still have a lot more on their plate than you. But in this thing, you are now allies. And if in that conversation, say, look, I totally get this and I see how this is flowing and uh, because this is what I see. This is what I think. And I also would like it to be this way. Would you mind if I tried it this way, for example, just to see how it works? I mean, I'll work through change control and make sure there's no damage, et cetera, et cetera. But what do you say to that? Unless it's a production system and, you know, a CEO laptop or something like that, you're probably going to get a go ahead. 
And even if you're not going to go ahead here, you ask, well, can I do it on a test system? Can I do this elsewhere a different way, slightly different way? You've made yourself better. You've made them better. You've made your process better. And you made the business better by becoming self-aware and building a better interpersonal relationship with the person who is oppressing you. Let's, again, assume that that's the case. There's no conflict. Now, this assumes lack of personal animosity for whatever reason. And in those cases, if you do have that, that's a different conversation. Although, again, if you are self-aware enough, at that point, your side of animosity will actually go away. Nothing makes you like people more than understanding them. And then they will understand you more. So you understand them more, they understand you more. What's there to fight about? Yeah, you can never dislike someone that you fully understand, right? Well, at least a little bit. Like, you know, love thy enemy. It's an important saying. You can only love someone you understand. So thinking about the common enemy that cybersecurity professionals face, there's threat actors of all different kinds. And you say to understand your enemy and to love that enemy. How do you even begin to start understanding all of the different malicious actors that are out there? Is that our responsibility to understand them and to attempt to empathize with people that are attacking us? I don't know about empathize. I'm not sure I want to go that far. The question we want to ask ourselves is, why are they like this? And they are like this because of massive amount of childhood trauma, massive amount of generational trauma, overlaying one over another, eventually making that system. Remember, we talked about that system, the system that governs you they grew up in some system and their North Star has been established as something completely very, very different. Understanding doesn't mean forgiving and understanding and forgiving doesn't mean lack of responsibility. You can understand the cannibal. You can forgive them because what's causing them to be this way isn't conscious thought to be this way. It's actually the lack of conscious thought and self-awareness. And don't you feel sorry for them? They are living their lives without self-awareness. They're living their lives as slaves of the things around them, unlike you. I would feel sorry for that. No, I'm not going to stop defending against them. It's like zombies, right? If you think about it, World War Z, that zombie is a zombie. And in some cases, it needs to be destroyed. But at a minimum... You are not emotional. You've separated your trigger from the reaction. They're trying to attack me. I hate them. Why do I hate them? They're trying to attack me. I'm going to stop them because I'm calm and collected because I don't hate them. Wow. Dimitri, we have had a wonderful conversation. And I want to ask one last question and feel free to get his personal or not as you'd like. And I would love to understand what keeps you going. What is the why that makes all of the challenges worth it? All of the stress, the time away from family, the unappreciation in a lot of organizations. What is the why that keeps you going? It's my family, my friends, my professional colleagues, my fellow citizens. I don't just mean United States. We can look at a wider planet. I want to live a long life. I want to be happy when I, throughout that life, I want my family to be happy. And in order for that to occur, I have to realize myself much more than I am, than I have realized myself so far. And as I go through that process, doing these things makes sense. Because I'm not doing cybersecurity. This is back to your very first question. I'm not doing this because I get more likes. I'm doing it so that more people find themselves. And if I, at this moment in life, would have been changing brakes in cars, I'd be doing it through that. I think at this point, that's what's happening. Three, four years ago, I didn't do any of this. I just worked very, very hard because I was traumatized when I was little. Most of us, not like child abuse that people might think about, but we all are restricted in some way when we grow up. I can see it all around me. 
And it's another thing you're going to become as you start watching yourself more and more. Things will start making sense. And doing this and just spending this time improving myself and recognizing when others are also going through those progressions, it just feels good. I'm enjoying this. Isn't that what it's all about? Leading a life that you enjoy and doing things you enjoy doing. So cybersecurity just happens to also be a place that's necessary and the Japanese ikigai thing, do what you love, do what the world needs, do what you're good at, and do what gets paid sufficiently for what you need. In the center of those four streams is your meaning of life. Like what is your meaning of life? It's in there. Do you know what it is? You know what you love and what are you good at? You might know what's good for the world and what gets paid well. And that's where usually people stick around. A lot of people don't know what they like and they don't know what they're good at. And that's what I started doing, trying to figure these two things out. And that's when the rest of it started falling into place. And here we are having this conversation. And I'm far from like, I'm a white belt. Like I'm just with one stripe for this where I'm at right now. Yeah, I hear you. What does a black belt look like? I'll ever get there. I don't know if anyone will ever get there. But I think black belt is like you've recognized and understood everything and you're now pure energy. I'm not sure that's humanly achievable. It's what Buddhists would call enlightenment. You know what Buddhists also say? Like they're monks when they go out into the world. If you meet Buddha, kill it. Never heard that one before. Because if anyone thinks they're Buddha, think about that for a second. You can't be perfect. And if you think you are, You've gone wrong somewhere. It not literally kill it, right? But if you think someone reached perfection, you failed somewhere. Go back, retrace your steps. So if you think you became Buddha, you've gone too far. You're now on the flip side of that coin. You got to go back. So I think the black belt is knowing that you'll never be there. Reaching the black belt is realizing that you'll never be perfect. And it's a consistent effort, consistent self-awareness, engagement. Just like cybersecurity, it's a program, not a project. It'll never end. And just like that in cybersecurity, black belt means not perfect security, but perfect process of self-improvement of the current capabilities. That's what I think the black belt might look like. We'll see when I get there, if I ever do. Wonderful. Dimitri, if anyone can get there, I believe it's you. You have a <laughs> wonderful mind, incredible <laughs> spirit. Thanks, You're so well-spoken. And as always, I've enjoyed having this awesome conversation with you. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. No BS Cybersecurity is brought to you by Sift.ai. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. On behalf of the team here at Sift, thank you for learning with me.